Our first message tonight, uh, Brother Jeremy Taylor, pastor of the Bible Baptist Church in Duncan, Oklahoma, good friend of our church, good friend of ours. Brother, good to have you with us. You come preach for us, all right? Let's take our Bibles tonight, if you would, to the 73rd Psalm. Psalm 73. If you're turning there, let me just say tonight that I appreciate Mount Zion Baptist Church and all the work that has gone into this week. And you've treated us like royalty uh, when we certainly didn't deserve it. And so thank you for all that you've done. I also want to thank the preachers that have preached in the pulpit. Um, I'm amazed at what God does with what little he has to work with. And I mean that personally. I'm not trying to, uh, me, not maybe you. <laughs> this is not getting off how I expected. <laughs> I'm glad for this. I'm glad that we can be brethren and not have to be twins. Some of you'll get that in a little bit. It's all right. It's good to be here. I trust that the Lord will use the message tonight to help us. Psalm 73, you reach a place. Let's stand together tonight. So we read our text beginning in verse number 25. Psalm 73, verse 25, the Bible tells us, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Father, tonight, thank you for the privilege of being able to stand and preach your word. Dear Lord, from the very depth of my heart, I pray that there'd be nothing within me, no sin or self that would be a hindrance to the delivery of your word. God, I pray that I'd not be the cause that somebody doesn't hear from you. I pray that, God, you'll clear my mind, my thoughts, and fill my voice with thus saith the Lord. Father, we really do want to hear from you. We want you to take your word and drive it to the corridors of our heart. And Father, do a work in us that only you can do. Father, we ask these things together tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so very much. You may be seated. If you'll go to the beginning of this psalm and you'll look with me at the heading, it says a psalm of Asaph. Now, this is actually one of ten different psalms that Asaph has written by the inspiration of God Asaph, for those that might be interested, was actually appointed as a chief musician by David over the house of God as well as to lead the music as they would march before the Ark of the Covenant. 
Asaph is not a person that his name brings a whole lot of notoriety perhaps to us. I would imagine that many of us are aware of him, but it doesn't bring the notoriety of a, uh, say, Moses or David or Abraham or even a Peter or Paul. But yet, I promise you, had you lived in David's day and been associated with the sanctuary, you'd have known exactly who Asaph was. This man pins this particular psalm, and just to further help you and I understand who he is tonight, it's interesting when we think about the fact that David himself was a very skilled musician. He not only knew how to play music, but he understood the importance of music. And I'll do my best not to camp here, but I'll mention it for what it's worth. I still believe that music is important in the house of God. We've got people today that don't understand how it comes in and leads into the worship of our Savior. But I'm telling you, music is a big issue today, and it ought to be. It's not amoral, by the way. Music matters. And David understood this himself, the influence, the power that music could have. And of all the people he chose, he chose Asaph to lead in this particular ministry. Yet Asaph at this point in his life pins this psalm and in the last verse he makes this statement It is good for me to draw near to God. He understood some things about life. He understood some things about himself. And my friend, he knew that he needed a close relationship with God. He understood that this was vital for him. And just because he held a position, just because he was somebody who was overseeing things, doesn't make him immune to the fact that he needed as much as anybody to draw near to God. For the next few moments, I want to take that thought and look over this psalm and preach on this idea for just a few moments and then get out of the way. Draw me nearer. That ought to be our prayer this week. It ought to be our prayer for tonight that God would draw every single one of us nearer to himself. Let me give you just a couple of things if I might. Let me bring your attention, if I can, to the incentive to draw near. You'll go back earlier in the passage and find in verse 2, he says, but as for me, and by the way, Asaph is making this a personal issue. It's not just us. It's me. And it's amazing how we as preachers listen to me if we're not careful can shove the buck or pass the buck and say it's about us when really we need to deal with ourselves first and realize if anybody's going to draw nigh to God, it ought to be us. And Asaph is dealing with this personally. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slid. 
He goes around and he gives the idea and paints a picture, if you would, mentally about somebody who's stumbling and slipping. I don't know how it is around here, but we don't get a whole lot of ice and snow and that kind of stuff in Oklahoma. February, we had the worst ice storm on record. Had over a foot of snow at the beginning of February, and you should have seen people. (laughs) Worse than them trying to walk on it was them trying to drive on it. It was horrible. People are slipping, sliding, stumbling, falling. You ever been to a point where you thought what you were putting your foot down was solid ground only to have the point where you couldn't get your feet under you and get your bearings? Asaph makes a statement. He said, listen, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He's not talking about a physical stumbling. You understand with me tonight, he's talking about where he's at spiritually. After all, our Christian life is likened over and over and over in the scriptures to a walk. Ephesians 6 does tell us that we're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Every step we take matters. We can't afford one misstep. We got to pay attention. And Asaph is dealing with this issue and he's putting out his heart. And I I say this, I love the transparency of the Bible. Because you're able to read not just of what's going on, but you're able to to, to look in to the heart of people and what's going on in their soul and what God's dealing with them about. Often this idea of slipping is connected or in correlation with the idea of backsliding. It's like David himself that said in Psalm 94, 18, when he said, my foot had slipped, but yet it was the God's mercy that held him up. Listen, Asaph confesses this, regardless of what you know about God theologically, regardless of what you are involved with in the house of God, And regardless of what position you may hold, you still have the capability of getting away from God. We can title it indifference, complacence, apathy, backsliding, whatever title you want to put on it tonight, but the truth of the matter is there's not a one of us in this room that is not subject and have the capability within ourselves to get away from God and not be as close to him as what we once were. Just because we're involved in ministry doesn't somehow put a protective bubble around us and make us immune to this issue. There have been times I've come to the office on Sunday morning and our people are coming from the world and all the trials and garbage and things that are put upon them and they're looking for their preacher to help them 
and point them towards the answers of this life and a better relationship with their Savior. My friend, there have been times that I thought I ought to just sit in the pew, let somebody else mount that pulpit because my heart wasn't as close to God as it ought to be. Maybe you're not as carnal as I am. Maybe you've never been there, but I tell you, honestly, tonight I've been there more times than I'd like to admit. Asaph was not the only one that felt this way. Solomon made a very similar statement in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 14 when he said, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Listen, you can be in a church every service. You can be a singer. You can be a teacher. You can be a deacon. You can even stand behind the pulpit and be indifferent towards the things of God. We are not immune. You say, well, preacher, I just don't believe in this issue of backsliding. Listen to me very carefully tonight. I believe that what a lot of people claim is backsliding is the fact that they're lost. I, I do believe, you go knock the door, listen, we've all been there witnessing to somebody, and they say, well, I've tried that church thing, but it just didn't work for me, and I, I know I, I'm just backslidden. And the truth of the matter is they're as lost as lost can be. But at the same time, there is the truth and the fact that my friend, we as the servants of Almighty God can draw away from Him as much as we can draw to Him. There's the incentive. You say, preacher, I just don't really have that problem. That's not a part of my makeup. Well, I don't mean to burst your bubble tonight, but the Bible says otherwise. Hosea chapter 11, verse 7, and my people are bent to backsliding from me. You know what that means? We have a predisposition about us. I know that when we're saved, we get a new nature, but we still have that old flesh, and it doesn't like to draw to the things of God. So how did this happen? Verses 2 down to verse 12, we find that he got his attention on something other than the Lord. He started looking at the world, seeing all the things that they were doing, all the ways that they were prospering, and my friend, he got his eyes off of where they should have been. He got his attention on something else other than God. And what happened was he began to draw away from him. Can I tell you tonight, the things that draw us away from God do not have to be inherently wicked. We know this. I understand that. 
But I think it warrants to be said again this evening that the things that would grasp our attention more than our Savior are things that are not to be in our lives. There's nothing wrong with that. If it draws me away from him, there is something wrong with it. Notice verse 13. Here's what happened. His attention was on something other than where it should have been. And because of that, he began to think wrong thoughts. What do you mean? Verse 13. Here's what he says. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. Now go back to verse 1 and notice what he says to begin with. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He begins to look around, look at all the things that are going on, looking down to that church down the street that doesn't care anything about the Bible or the things of God, began to be envious of them and how they're growing and they're having to build a new building and they're doing this and they're doing that and here he is just trying to be faithful to the things of God and my friend, he got his attention somewhere where it shouldn't have been and all of a sudden his thoughts follow his attention and he begins to say things that are not true. What do you mean by that? He says, I've cleansed my heart in vain. You know what he's saying? What's the point? Doesn't matter. I've done all this and it hasn't helped. You ever thought that what you're doing for the Lord and in the ministry and the work of God, you ever let your flesh rise up to the point that you started thinking it's not worth it? What's the point? I come to the pulpit, I study, I labor, I pour my heart out, and people just look at me. No, 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 you'll start thinking in your mind, what's the point? Can, can I tell you, I love our people. They're better to me than I deserve. We got a great church, and I tell them all the time, one of these days, you're gonna get blessed and get you a good preacher, but in the meantime, you're stuck. <laughs> but can I tell you this honestly tonight? I don't mount that pulpit, nor should I mount that pulpit for them. I do it for the one that saved me and called me and put me in that position. Whether they move, whether they respond, whether they ever pat me on the back, whether they ever say great message preacher or not is irrelevant tonight. My attention needs to stay where it always should have been in the first place. He says, I've done this in vain. We see tonight the incentive because look what he says, verse 27. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. He says, listen, I, I don't, I don't want to end up as a casualty of those that have gotten away from you. How many preachers do we know tonight personally that have ended up as casualties in the ministry because they got away from God? 
Every one of you are thinking about names right now. God help us not to be one of those. There's the incentive to draw near because the truth of the matter is if we don't draw near, then we're going to draw away. It's that simple. But may I also bring your attention to the insight for drawing near. Not just the incentive to draw near, but the insight for drawing near. Before Asaph ever gets to verse 28 and says, it's good for me to draw near to God, he grasps some real solid truths that help him and bring him to this conclusion of what it takes to draw near to the Lord. Let me give you a couple of them. First of all, there's the right place. Verse 17, here's what he says. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Asaph tells us that things started to turn around when he went into the house of God. He got into the house of God and his entire perspective changed. I still believe that the church is not just good, it's vital for the growth of God's people. The Bible does say that God has given gifts to the body and my friend, for part of those gifts, one of the reasons is for the perfecting of the saints. You'll not come to spiritual maturity and what you ought to be without the house of God. It's a necessity. He got in the right place. Well, yeah, preacher, of course it's a necessity for our people. Now, I'm going to tell you tonight, it's a necessity for me. I need the church. I need God's house in my life. Why? I'm still trying to be perfected tonight. Well, you're not mature. Mature is not what we're talking about. We're talking about perfection. Be perfect as our Father's perfect. He's not just mature, my friend. He's perfect. You say, well, you'll never reach that. That's why I need the house of God. I know I'm not perfect tonight, but I want to be. I want God to work in me. I want God to deal with me. And I need the house of God that I can continually be perfected and try to attain. Will I ever reach it? Not in this flesh. But that's why the house of God is so vital to the people of God. It's a necessity in our life. It's interesting you read Revelation chapter number one. John talks about hearing a voice and as it were a trumpet, and he turns around to look and see who it was that was talking to him. We know it's the Lord, but here's the interesting thing. Before he saw the one that was speaking, the Bible brings his attention to where the Lord is at, and that's the candlesticks. If we're going to draw nigh to him, it's going to take a right place. Let me also tell you, it takes a right perspective. It's interesting, the word here when it says until I went, 
into the sanctuary. That word went doesn't just mean to arrive, it means to attain. I, I, I got a hold of what I needed. You know as well as I do, there are those in your church, in my church, that come week in and week out, and they're in the services, but for some reason or another, they're not always attaining unto what they need, and thereby they are not as close to God as what God would have them to be. You can be in every service, but are you getting what you're supposed to get? Am I, as a preacher, Am I getting the fellowship? Am I getting the instruction? Am I getting and attaining to that which God has for me? How often we get indifferent towards the Lord and away from him when we start treating our Christian life as nothing more than a checklist to do. Read my Bible, said my prayers, did my obligation, there it is. That's not what it's talking about when it talks about drawing near to him. Can I tell you tonight, it takes a right place, it takes a right perspective, but then also the third insight I'd bring to your attention that helped him understand his need to draw near was the right pain. So what do you mean by that? Look what he says in verse number 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. You know what he began? He got broken over the fact that he wasn't as close to God as he should have been. Broken. No, 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 no. Broken. It literally got a hold of his heart. And he realized, I'm not as close to the Lord as I ought to be. And it's nobody else's fault but mine. If we're not close to the Lord and we're drawn away from him, I tell you tonight, God is not the one to be blamed. And Asaph understood this and God got a hold of him. Oh, my heart is grieved. I can't believe I let this happen. I can't believe I swerved. I can't believe I got off track and he's pricked in his reins and he talks about how foolish and ignorant he was about this whole matter. The very brokenness is what allowed him to draw near to the Lord. Can I just read you a couple Bible verses? Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart and say as such as be of a contrite spirit. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 66 verse two, but to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. 
A lot of people never get out of their indifferent, cold, apathetic, complacent, backslidden condition because they're not broken over the condition to start with. Annoyed? Maybe. Disgusted? Perhaps. But not broken. And if we're not careful, we'll look at our complacency as, you know, well, it's just a default I have. It's a personality problem. Why don't we quit adopting the language of the world and call it for what it is? It's sin and we're not right with God. There was the insight for drawing near. It was a right place, a right perspective. He got a hold of what God had for him. And those things led to the right pain. And he was broken before the Lord. And then I'd finish with this tonight. There's the identification from drawing near. So what do you mean by that, preacher? When Asaph got things right with the Lord and knew that it was good for him to draw near to God, he was able to make an, a remarkable identification. Incredible what he says. He comes to the realization tonight that it was God that drew him back. You see, it wasn't because Asaph was so spiritual and smart and great. It was because there was a God that loved him and cared about him and would not let him get far away. What he says, verse 23, nevertheless, in spite of all the pain in spite of how I felt, in spite of how foolish I was in this entire outlook, I am continually with thee. God, you never would let me go. You helped me. Timmy, come here for a minute, son. It says right here, in verse number 23, it says, Thou hast holden me by my right hand. You know what that means? It means he's got a hold of us. We've had to do this to Timmy just ever since he was this high and started walking. Otherwise, he gets away from us. <laughs> but if we're walking together and Timmy tries to go, guess what? He's not getting very far. He's not getting far away. I've got a hold of him. Every time he tries to pull, every time he tries to tug, every time he tries to go his own way, I've got a hold of him. He slips and stumbles. He's weighed more than I thought he did. <laughs> he slips. Thank you, son. God's got a hold of us. Every time my flesh is reared up, my anger, my frustration, 
my complacency. Every time I've started looking and getting my attention in places it shouldn't have been. Every time I started feeling sorry for myself, thinking this whole thing is about me and revolves around me. All the time I wanted some attention and all the things and tried to make it about me. And I started drifting and I started walking on my own terms and my own direction. And my feet, my feet started to slip out from under me. I'm glad tonight that my heavenly father has got a hold of me. And he's held me up and kept me from getting away from him. Why? Would we not want to draw near to a God that is so loving and compassionate and caring? God, help us tonight to draw near. Because the truth of it is, we all have the capacity to get away from it. We all have the ability. We're not immune to it. The Bible says that a man ought not think more highly of himself than he ought to. We can get there. We have an incentive to draw near. It comes from some insight from the right place with the right perspective and the right pain. And when it's said and done, and we find ourselves back to where we should have been, may somewhere along the way we remember to bow our knee and thank the God who never let us go. Amen. Our Father tonight, we sure appreciate you. Appreciate your goodness to us. And I ask that you help us not to fall away. God, may you help us. There's probably, Father, I don't know about everybody else, but I know about me tonight. And I know that I want to be closer to you than what I currently am. I pray you help me. I pray you work on my heart. May you bless the next preacher that stands in this pulpit and use him in my life that when the service is said and done tonight, I might be able to claim I'm nearer to you than when we started. Father, have your will and way in all things. We'll ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.